ain't got jujitsu. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds, are coming in kind of late this week. It's been real difficult for us to line up a recording session, but these fights were too damn important not to talk about. Um, So let's just jump straight into UFC 281. The fucking mad lad did it again. Greatest hater in combat sports history. Oh, seriously. Yeah, Alex Pereira uh, defeats Israel Adesanya to take the middleweight championship. Fifth round knockout. Three and zero now. I mean, what some people have called like a come from behind thing compared it a little bit to a Leon Edwards, a Kamara Usman. But you know that was a reasonably competitive fight. But the Leon was definitely losing, and then he like won with one kick. This was a fight that like Pereira, I thought, fought really well had a good game plan, was competitive throughout, even though he was probably down 3-1 on the scorecards. That doesn't like tell the story of the things that he did to keep himself in this fight. And uh, all of the reasons why he's just kind of a fucking nightmare matchup for Israel Adesanya in a lot of ways, uh, even though he loses large portions of every fight that they have. You know, why was he such a bad matchup for Izzy? For a start, uh, he's fucking huge and long and doesn't have to cross this gulf of distance. And, you know, a lot of people been bringing this up recently that Israel Adesanya's pocket defense is kind of not as slick as maybe he thinks it is. And, you know, he really has to rely on his distance management a lot and very rarely has to fight people who are at height and reach parity with him. So the fact that Pereira Pereira was just able to reach out and touch him and, like, landed some of the hardest fucking jabs I have ever seen in a fight he was also just doing good work with pressure, um, doing well to defend kicks and, and return with low kicks. And whenever he got Israel to the cage, he like genuinely was forcing Israel to make decisions uh, and multiple times caught him circling out with a left hook. Yeah, kind of really yeah, was an issue for Israel that he didn't seem to have that many tools to keep himself off of the fence proactively. It, the, the, there wasn't a lot of like... Uh, tight pivots that he could, you know, make dramatic angle changes and, yeah, was constantly put in that position where he had to, where he had to just decide which way he was going to go and it was either going to walk him into a hard low kick or a left hook. Not to undercut the success that Israel Adesanya had in the fight, he was pretty clearly winning going into the fifth round. Um, He hurt Pereira really bad with a right hand and then a left hook right at the end of the first round. Um, he did well, like countering some of Pereira's low kicks, and it was weird that he kind of spent a bunch of this fight southpaw. Um, I guess he just wanted to like fight the lead hand and be able to kick through the open side and stuff. But it, most of his best offense was coming when they were in close stance, and he could just like get in real close and land a nice right hand as Pereira was kind of just uh, backing out with his hands outstretched because Pereira. Also, isn't that used to fighting uh, people who are height and reach parity with him? And Israel could kind of just like just punch him over his hands in that in that situation. Um, no big old gloves to 
to insulate him. And we also saw Israel Adesanya do a bunch of MMA. Like, he was doing well with the hand fight, the fact that he could just actually reach out and grab Pereira's hands. Uh, he kind of just capitalized on Pereira going for a weird trip that Israel was able to easily reverse and then got into a good position where he just controlled Pereira and, like, rode him for the rest of the round, did good work with wrist ties to stop Pereira from just, like, posting and standing up. Pereira himself even got a, a takedown right towards the end of second round that would have made Dominic Cruz lose his fucking mind. <laughs> but yeah, like, leading into the fifth round, Pereira, he knew he was behind on the scorecards, but you know, uh, yeah, something else that he had done throughout the fight was beat the shit out of Israel Adesanya's body. Like whenever they were in close or whenever Israel was just really like focused on head defense, Pereira would just take any opportunity he had to rip to the body and like that combined with the low kicks was just good attrition that kept him in a like his first five round fight in MMA and he just fucking got after it in in the last round would not let Israel off the fence and just destroyed him with the same left hook that he had been finding throughout the whole fight and also like uh, nice uppercuts and right hands just like working around Israel's guard really nice whenever they were in close and he like couldn't just move backwards. I got the standing TKO while Israel was just looking at the ground and trying to do head movement. What did you make of the fight, Christian? I thought it was a great performance by both. I thought it kind of taught us a lot about both guys as grapplers in a weird way, despite the fact that they're uh, both pretty explicitly just strikers. Uh, Adesanya being the best top control grappler at middleweight was a bit of a surprise to me, if you're just looking at the eye test. Uh, he held down a guy that's light heavyweight size or like light heavyweight plus sized for a round or so. I, I kind of felt like the whole grappling dynamic was very strange because Adesanya attempted the first takedown, but it wasn't even remotely close. And that gave Pereira the thought that, oh, okay, I'm going to fucking take this bitch down. And then because he got the takedown at the end of the second, that kind of led to nothing. Adesanya was like, you know what? Fuck this guy, dude. Like, he's just going to take me down. I'm going to actually take him down. Did like a nice little, uh, I think it was a, a weird clinch exchange that he like, uh, like just sat back and then flipped prayer over his legs a little bit and then ended in top position. And, Oh, there was a weird leg entanglement at some point as well. <laughs> yeah, like it just—it uh, just seemed like uh, it kind of taught me more than I thought it was going to about their grappling. Like I figured if they grappled, it would just look bad. But I mean, it didn't look great from Pereira's uh, side in particular because he was just kind of getting his ass beat slowly. It's also something to take away that just like you can—you can put two like explicitly kickboxing specialist in an MMA fight and some fucking MMA is going to happen at some point. Yeah, like, it has to be two really good MMA fighters for it to actually have no grappling. Because, like, otherwise shit just happens. Like, the Max Volk fights barely had any grappling because they're they're just so good at, at grappling that they can just defend it or, like, take it out of the fight almost. Whereas these guys are not good enough for grappling to stop the grappling from happening, even if they don't, neither of them wants to grapple each other. Uh, it seemed like Adesanya's plan was to try and wear Pereira out, uh, or maybe not like his set game plan, but on the fly, he's like, you know what? He's pretty fucking explosive today. I'm, I'm just going to like try and wear him out on the ground, but it's impossible to take away Pereira's power um, by wearing him out like that. He, he just has power no matter what. And I thought that Pereira did great uh, work in the clinch. Adesanya had a very strange thing where he 
was trying new things in the clinch. Like, he would get an underhook on one side and then a collar tie with the other hand and then, like, really deep head pressure on the neck and, uh, like, push Pereira and keep him straight. But keeping Pereira straightened out on the fence is fucking stupid because that's how he chooses to clinch anyways. So he was just landing knees to the body full power because that's how he already postures himself in the clinch. And some fucking um, sunny list and uppercuts to the body as well. Yeah, like ripping shots to the body, um, it, just like not really regarding or, or like giving Izzy any respect at all for being able to take him down because even if Izzy did take him down, it wasn't really going to bear much. Like I feel like the round that Izzy needed to take down the most was the fifth round, and yet he he didn't even get close to it. So I, I feel like Pereira did really well keeping himself in the fight while Adesanya had to go through the most cardio draining performance he's ever had because we've never seen him offensively grapple like that, which is definitely going to wear on you, especially since Pereira wasn't just sitting there. He was giving some resistance and he's very large. Yeah. He's very large. It was also incredibly mentally stressful for Izzy. Like Izzy got fucking dog shit tired in the Kelvin Gaston fight just off of effort. And that fight had like much longer stretches of inactivity from both men than this fight ever had. So I was actually really impressed by Izzy's cardio, uh, despite the fact he did fade some towards the fifth. But like, he didn't get finished because he faded. It's the most he's ever been hit to the body. It's the most he's actually had to pay attention while striking because he's kind of just fought people that are scared shitless of him striking. This is really just, to me, like Adesanya's cage craft difficulties in this fight and a lot of his uh, lapses in judgment when it came to where to keep the fight at was really just him having an opponent that wasn't scared of him at all like Pereira's not scared to strike with him he got hurt and knew that he could keep going Pereira is something that's not like talked about that much is that he's just fucking hard to finish even if you do hurt him like he's been put on the ropes fucking shitloads of times in kickboxing it was just fine normally has he been finished since like Artur Koshenko I don't believe so which is so still weird to me that that fight happened. Yeah, he like Pereira can just take a fucking hit, and the fact that he stands so tall makes people think that he's a lot more frail than he is. Even though people don't really consider him frail, it's just you know you see him get put on the rope so much, and you're like, oh, people are just that close to finishing him. But if people are frequently getting just that close, then really they're probably not that close. What did you make of the stoppage? I thought it was a good stoppage, but I would have pre- I would have preferred if they let it go a little bit longer because then there would be no argument against it. And I think Adesanya, uh, I don't know if it was someone that I'm used to seeing get like fucking tooled, um, get stoppage TKO'd, then I'd be like, yeah. But Adesanya could have maybe gone for a takedown or something. Uh, it looked like he was getting really low and kind of past the point that he could get hit by anything clean unless Pereira just backed up and gave him more re- like reach. It seemed like Pereira was doing really fucking good at not crowding his work during the finishing sequence. He was like doing really nice things to weave under Izzy's left hand and then come over the top with a right hand, uh, which is like lovely to see. But, you know, it wasn't anything I haven't seen people like come back from at some point, but... Also, I literally have never seen someone in MMA come back from getting fucked up that bad against someone as dangerous as Pereira. So, and as good at finishing. It was like a very culture performance by Pereira. Well, it's also just because somebody can come back from the ref letting them die doesn't mean it was good decision making from the ref. 
Yeah, like it's. A, I, I didn't even think it was an early stoppage. I just thought it was no, like no, a, a, a standing TKO. But no, I thought it, I thought it was a good stoppage. It's just, it's been a talking point. Yeah, I I also wouldn't have slighted the ref at all if he just let Izzy stay there until he got knocked out. Flush. Yeah, I mean, because... it was it was Mark Goddard who let Kelvin Gastelum die against Israel Adesanya. So yeah, uh, that that is a little weird. Now that you mention it, like how how are you gonna stop that? But you're not gonna stop. Um, I mean, maybe it's just giving Pereira the respect as a power puncher, but that's not how refereeing is supposed to be. Like you're you're not supposed to take into account the matchup at all. You're supposed but, to just but, look but, at you what know, you're but, looking but, at. But you know, I thought this was a I thought this was a good stoppage. Whereas uh, the Kelvin Gastelum one like absolutely should have been stopped. <laughs> yeah, it's a fucking terrible stoppage. Because um, there wasn't, wasn't even a stoppage. A stoppage. Yeah. I, I think that Pereira is he kind of just traded place with Izzy because a lot of people are saying that oh now uh, Pereira is like the worst champion. But like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, wh- what did he show that makes you think he's any worse? Like, he just handled uh, an offensive grappling performance better than Adesanya has ever had to deal with because no one has shown the ability to top control like Izzy has against Izzy. Yeah, okay, so, you know, what what do you want next for Pereira? Because people are saying, oh, it's open season at middleweight now, and I'm not sure I'd agree because, you know, people are saying, oh, Marvin Vittori can just be middleweight champion now because he can wrestle and he's unkillable. And I'm like... He kind of sucks at holding people down and has no defense and like came this close to getting finished against Rob Whitaker. So I don't see any reason to expect like him not to just get absolutely smoked by Pereira having to cross the absolute gulf of distance to even get to his hips. Um, Derek Brunson is the other guy who can wrestle. He gets knocked the fuck out. He's also not going to get a title shot. No. Um, and and Vittori still has to get past Izzy and Rob, and he's fight, pushing for another Izzy fight. Well, yeah, he so, just got like outclassed by Rob. So, And I kind of think like, Rob, much as I love the guy, Pereira is a, a rough matchup for him. I honestly think that... Um, I think that Pereira, on being very large... Um, makes up for the the gulf of distance between like raw takedown defense that he has with him and Izzy, because like Adesanya, he's really good at defending takedowns, but he's also pretty fucking easy to just get in the clinch. Like it, I would not be surprised at all if someone was just able to lame out a couple rounds against Izzy in, by clinching him, which Vittori almost did. It just Vittori was still losing the rounds because he was getting like hammer fisted in the thigh and shit. But Pereira would just fuck him up in the clinch and be really large. And Pereira has, we have every reason to believe he's just going to keep getting better at defensive grappling because he has Glover Teixeira as his coach, who's a better top control grappler than anyone at the top of middleweight. Yeah, and despite being so late in you know his overall combat sports career, he has clearly made remarkable developments in a reasonably short span of time. Like, and that has all made sense for how he needs to develop as an MMA fighter. So I'm basically saying I think Alex Pereira is unbeatable at middleweight. I think Jan Blahovic is the worst matchup in the sport for him. I think Jan Blahovic as well. I, I feel like it's not given enough thought whenever people are saying things like, oh, just give him a wrestler. It's like saying, like, just give Khabib or Islam a striker with good takedown defense. Like, in theory, it works, but if you can't hang with him on the ground at all, then it's kind of useless. Whereas, 
it's kind of the same with Prayer or Izzy. If you can't hang with them on the feet at all, you're just going to get fucking shit on because they're not going to be scared of you when they're on the feet. So you're not going to get the takedown opportunities you want. Like Jan Blahovich actually made Izzy look pretty bad in certain parts of the fight and then just clearly won two rounds uh, because the striking threat had built him up enough goodwill to just be able to get a takedown. And then once you're on top, it's not that hard to stay on top of either guy, I don't think. It's just... it depending on how much you're getting fucked up on the feet, it's harder and harder to stay on top. Like, Vittori was getting his leg chewed up. That's a huge, like, under-acknowledged factor of why he wasn't really having any takedown success against Izzy because uh, his leg's getting fucked up. Same with Rob. <clears throat> yeah, and then Jerry Prohaska, like, relying on being able to eat shit to win literally every fight he has. W- would you be surprised if uh, if Jerry just got fucking smoked in the first round against Pereira? <laughs> I would not at all, but honestly, the more I think about it, I kind of think Jerry might just be able to get a takedown and then just put the fucking, the fucking dominant Cruz pace on him. If I'm Pereira, I'm keeping my eye on that Glover versus Jerry fight. And if Jerry wins the rematch, then it's like, oh yeah, see you later, Israel Adesanya, fucking 3-0, and loser, gonna go be double champ real quick. Yeah, I think this fight has kind of made me think that for our end of the year show, we need to have like a best haterade sipping performance ever. I'm trying to think of because anything that, off the top of my head that could feasibly compete with this. Yeah, like it, it's the biggest hater move I've ever seen. Also, Israel Adesanya got arrested by TSA for having brass knuckles in his bag a couple days ago. What? So, so like the thought that Pereira fucking like called TSA is hilarious. Like people were making memes of of him calling TSA about it, and it wouldn't be surprising. Like I'm ready for Pereira to like fuck Adesanya's mom and dad. Like I I'm not sure there's lengths that Pereira wouldn't go to 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 hate Izzy, which is just the funniest shit in the world. And the fact that we have a champion pretty much just because of pre fight pre UFC context is so funny to me. It's pretty neat. Something interesting happened at middleweight. It's cool. Okay, so yeah, co-main event. Um, Carlo Esparza, once again, after capturing the title against Rose Namajunas, uh, just gets completely outclassed and destroyed in two rounds. Yeah. I I feel like Whaley entertained the grappling a lot more than she needed to leading up to the finish on the ground. Yeah, but she also just like knew she could. Yeah. Because, you know, she definitely had some, you know, still showed some of the concerns that people had about her defensive grappling coming into this fight and just put herself in some weird positions that it didn't seem like she even needed to get into, but also just was like, uh, I am 10 times more athletic than you. I will just chill and scramble and wait to get some fuck shit. I mean, she was also like, like putting the fear of God into Carla on the feet. Like uh, people were also concerned about whether or not uh, Zhang was going to be comfortable about leading because she is just like kind of wonky on the lead sometimes. But she's like, well, A, seemed to have a new uh, training camp uh, that made some difference, but also just like had no fear of just walking Carlos Barza down and kicking the shit out of her. Uh, and like I say, every time they they got into a scramble, she just kind of won easily until she was able to secure a crucifix rear naked choke. You don't see that every day. It's fucking harsh. 
Yeah, uh, you could fucking tell that Whaley's been training in Thailand. She's a very strange fighter in the sense that she's kind of a chameleon, where if you put her in any training scenario, she's going to embody the spirit of it, too. So, like, she was training with Cejudo for a while and then looked like she was just like, oh, I'm ready for the grind set. Like, I'm ready to fucking stay elusive and then do takedowns. Like, I'm going to low kick and wrestle. She's so coachable. It's insane. Yeah, and she just clearly like, thinks fighting is super neat and because she's so athletic can just do whatever. She just seems to add like four new things to her game every time she has a fight that are all really fucking cool and dynamic. Yeah, she is so underratedly a student of the game. Uh, like, more so than most people I can even think of in fighting. She's like Corey Sandhagen or something. Which is nice to see. Yeah, like, she just fucking loves fighting, and, she, and you know, she's prone to having kind of fucky performances if she gets the wrong influence. Really, as long as you keep Whaley in good hands, she's going to be putting out good performances. Like, her, her Muay Thai looked fucking, like, pretty decent in this fight. Yeah, and I think her only, like, questionable performance recently was the second Rose fight, which was just, like, kind of an understandable over-adjustment to getting smoked in the first fight. Yeah, and she still arguably won it, and it doesn't matter now because she's champ. Yeah, and she's made dramatic improvements since then. She's just a an ever changing fighter who's not really like locked into a specific style. And I think that her grappling with Esparza is up to like a few things. It's one, it was kind of a go with the flow performance, which I always understand if you have a complete mismatch like physicality wise or even just skill wise like Whaley is also better at grappling than Carla Esparza by this point but Carla Esparza she's she's not a bad wrestler at all she's, no, she's always good, good at wrestling yeah she like she's good at wrestling she's good at fucking people up on top to a degree she's just not very imposing normally and she's pretty small and then Whaley just went with the flow and if Esparza really was wanting to press it she'd be like okay I'll, I'll like I'll like hang out with the grappling and like kind of defend the takedowns for funsies and then when we're on the feet, I'll just consummately outclass you safely. And then the first time she got like a real clear opportunity on the ground, she just took it and like locked her down and choked her. So it, there isn't that much to take away from the performance aside from Whaley's fucking good still. She, like that, that one fight uh, against Rose isn't an indictment of her really and then she kind of bounced back against Joanna, but it was such a weird performance because how much of that are you going to attribute to Joanna being shot since she got wrestled so aggressively but i really just think whaley is just a hoss and though Joanna's regressed whaley's just fucking strong like just fucking like sprinting and takedowns like lifting Joanna. it was a very impressive performance and then this one it, her offensive grappling looked a lot less intentional it was it was more just reactionary grappling because she could afford to allow carla to do whatever carla wanted to attempt to do and just shut it down uh with a like fair clip so overall not that much to take away in like this type of physical mismatch where everyone was already picking whaley to dominantly win so oh yeah even the way the commentary were talking about this fight yeah, they knew they knew what the fight was. Like the UFC knew what the fight was, the fans knew what the fight was. It was really just Carlos Sparza doing her absolute best to win, despite the odds. So, good on Carlos Sparza for being fucking two time champ. Yeah, and as for Whaley, we got to do the Andrade rematch, right? Yeah, Andrade rematch or um, 
like see what Rose is doing. Honestly, I you could do Andrade versus Rose or Whaley, and I think that's fair. I mean, I, th- I think like the only other person who's really like put a streak together recently is Lamosh, and Andrade easily beat Lamosh, and uh, of course Andrade and Zhang had a fight where uh, Andrade just got fucking destroyed in the first round. Yeah, it seems like one that you just got to run back, and I don't really see anyone else having a clear argument for a title shot over Andrade at this point. Okay, so, um, Christian, how dare you make me doubt Dustin Poirier? This was literally the easiest fight of his career. He won so easily. Yeah, I want to point out, I was right, though. Like, Chandler's fucking, he fucking wrestled him, because, like, for me, it was kind of a no shit he was going to try and wrestle him. Because... People were just seeing Chandler not really, like, hunt the takedown against people that it's a lot harder to hunt the takedown on, or, like, more dangerous to hunt the takedown on. And he lost for it, but he's now lost by every method you can lose against the top fighters. So, like, if he fights Islam Makhachev, the only thing left for him is, like, to get a no contest or a draw. Because he got submitted by Dustin, got decision by Gaethje, and got knocked out by Charles. One fucking weird. Like, that's, that's fucking weird, right? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, Michael Chandler's never been submitted in his career prior to this. Uh, Dustin Poirier hasn't submitted anyone since he dust Jonathan Brookins 10 years ago. Yeah, so that's fucking weird. He made it to a decision with Gaethje, who's known as, like, the power-punching guy that seems like a knockout kryptonite for Chandler. And then... Charles Levera, the submission guy that has striking as, like, a major function of his game, knocks him out and doesn't even have that much grappling success. I was really surprised that Michael Chandler didn't get knocked out at the end of the first round of this fight. Honestly, Chandler just has that fucking hustle in him. He does. We, I, I, I'm done, like, underestimating Michael Chandler's chin. He is able to eat shit from Gaethje and Dustin and be fine. As far as I'm concerned, his chin's as good as it's ever been. He's just kind of weak to getting dropped. Yeah, he just still manages to get dropped by the ghost of Tony Ferguson somehow. Yeah, like, he's crackable. And the type of striker that Dustin and Gaethje are is not the type that's actually going to drop him. Like, Tony, even shot as fuck, has, like, the length surprise that Chandler doesn't really like when he's moving backwards. Like, it's not hard to drop Chandler when he's, like, literally floating in the air, bouncing backwards. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how both Tony and Charles hurt him. Uh, yeah, and D- Dustin just caught him with a really nice like lead right hook um, as like Chandler was over overswinging uh, on his own left hook. Yeah, like Chandler doesn't really get hurt in exchanges, or he doesn't get finished in exchanges. He just gets like hurt really badly. Well, yeah, but I, and also just like Dustin Poirier then chased him like back back to the cage and like fucked him up. I caught him with like a similar shot to the one uh, Charles got him with, where he just like runs away and like gets clapped with the lead hook on exit. Um, but no credit to Michael Chandler. He got through that round, and you know I, th- I think uh, what a lot of people were saying is Michael Chandler will wrestle if he gets hurt. <laughs> and yeah, he went for it way harder in, in the second round. He'd kind of been showing it throughout, and like Dustin actually showed pretty good first layer takedown defense. He was like normally uh, he was normally ready just with the head and hands. Uh, like Chandler did actually have to like do some shit to set up takedowns in the second round. He like just mustered all of the explosivity he had to chase Dustin back with a bunch of body kicks and to stand him up uh, against the cage, uh, double-legged him, hit a fucking 
crazy big lift, which was like kind of uh, good brain thinking just to get Dustin Poirier in open space because he relies so much on the cage to be able to stand up. Um, and then Michael Chandler had one of the dirtiest rounds I have ever seen in MMA. He did every foul in the book and didn't get punished for it. Look, fish hooking, uh, the glove grabbing, shots to the back of the head, clearly made Dustin mad. Um, and like down the stretch showed the problem with Michael Chandler and like why Dustin Poirier was kind of just always going to beat him easily <laughs> is that he... There's just no subtlety to anything Michael Chandler does. He he just like he comes in with a good a, a bunch of good ideas tactically, but like just kind of spams them all one after the other without any kind of coherent strategy, and everything is executed with like one thousand percent all of the explosivity he can muster. It's just inefficient. <laughs> he he gets figured out, and in in the last round he did a, a big dynamic slam and tried to take Dustin's back, but just like didn't get the hook in and lost it instantly. And Dustin was like, ha, I take the back and like got the body triangle. And you could see Chandler, like he was fighting the hands and you could see him like just looking for the moment to explode. He's just like, okay, I just need to do a backflip. And he just couldn't get it. And like, um, as you know, he, uh, as soon as he uh, stopped fighting the hands to a post to try and maintain his posture, like Dustin just wrapped the neck up. Really nice choke. Dustin Poirier has a better back control than Charles Oliveira confirmed. Yeah, I, I, I think... I'm gonna have to like extrapolate something that's maybe just just like thinking too much of it, but really, it, you're gonna lose to Dustin Poirier if you shit talk him uh, in a way that is anything more than like a objective skill criticism. Because Chandler was like talking a little bit of shit to Dustin, and it very clearly pissed Dustin off. Like Dustin came into the fight like what motherfucker. Uh, and if you get what motherfucker Dustin, he's gonna fuck your shit up because. If you're ever having a who has more bitch in them contest with Dustin Poirier and it hinges on uh, him having like the annoyance factor of like this person has talked shit to me before, he's gonna he will die before he quits. Whereas if you fight like a grappler like Khabib or Charles, of course, disregard the fact that those matchups are, are a fucking nightmare for him on the ground just for a moment so that you can listen to my my theory this is the thing though like michael chadley he's just he's not tight enough to keep on top of dustin even though he like won the second round so easily like i say he's so inefficient and will just like give up positions just to do something really dynamic he was gonna give dustin too many chances it, it was like a brilliant second round performance by him though yeah which is like fucking crazy and i wasn't i figured that if he had if he had gone for that strategy from the get-go, he probably would have gotten like submitted at the end of the second or something because it's just a very cardio-intensive style to go. He was just like punching into takedowns and like like hunting the takedown really aggressively, which he isn't typical to do. But, and every takedown was a huge lift. Yeah, but I think the fight kind of just um, contextualized for me like what I meant by Chandler's going to offensively grapple. It's that Gaethje is fucking ridiculously hard to take down to the first layer and Chandler was having enough success in the feet to where he didn't really like worry about it too much. It's really just the threat of it is enough to make Gaethje more hittable. And people forget that he actually like did hurt Gaethje pretty bad at certain points. And then he could hang around as the fight got later out of a combination of Gaethje being like wary of the takedown and also just knowing he's ahead and then for Charles Oliveira, it's fucking Charles Oliveira. If you're 
thing is to try and grapple him, then you have to either be like Islam Makashev tier uh, offensive grappler and consistency, and also like size, where Chandler is underratedly like he's short for the weight class, but he's also kind of small. I think at least relative to the top guys, he's not literally small. He's he's like an average size lightweight, just fighting giants at lightweight. So yeah, he's also a, a barrel, yeah, of muscle. But like it, it's he's fought people that he either didn't need to grapple with at all, and just the threat was present enough to get him the win and get people moving backwards, like Dan Hooker, or people that he couldn't really take down effectively. Dustin is a fight where it just was the play, and also the the southpaw orthodox dynamic was actually. Yeah, but it, at least it wasn't him like reactively taking him down. It was him being like, okay, well, here's my strategic adjustment is that I'll grapple him offensively. And then it worked so fucking hard for an entire round with the cheating. But cheating's part of fighting, so. It was, ju- it was just the way he was trying to do damage control after the fight that really put me off. Just own it. And be like, oh, no, none of that was intentional. Just, these things happen. Yeah, he's, he's just a bullshitter. I, I think if he hadn't talked any shit to Dustin, it was just very respectful of him the entire lead up then Dustin wouldn't have tried as hard in the third round and might have dropped a decision. But I'm not sure about that. Well, I mean, I'm never going to pick Dustin Poirier to just, like, let a fight lose, but it's three rounds and I could see Chandler... If that ex- one grappling exchange had just gone a little bit differently in the third round, it could have been a completely different fight. So, like, of course, it's very impressive that he got the back, but... Like we've seen Chandler with people on his back before. It was mostly being tired that got him the submission loss. It was it was like ninety five percent being exhausted. So it's hard for me to not assume that had he just ended up in a better position off of the initial takedown, he was just always going to be exhausted in the last round. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but like I don't know. I I just can't imagine that if he hadn't talked as much shit, that Dustin would have still tried as hard because dustin was like talking to him between the first and second round like wanting to fuck him up and if dustin wants to like fuck you up which he didn't really like of course he wanted to win against khabib and charles and you know disregard the matchup for a minute just think about the mental dynamic because it's funnier like if he wanted to fuck up dustin or if he wanted to fuck up charles and khabib like he wouldn't need to get shit talked a little bit he really you just got to be respectful of dustin and then you beat him easy I think Charles and Khabib are just better than Michael nah, Chandler. No, nah, disregard but, that. You know, this, this is fun. I can yeah, it's, it. It's way funnier, and it also like completely is is correct, even though there's more context to it. Because <laughs> he had a... The second round has made, like... That type of second round performance that Chandler did is the type of fight that has traditionally been really fucking, like, wearing on Dustin mentally. Like, Eddie Alvarez got into the exact position that Chandler got into at one point in the fight, and Dustin looked pretty worse for wear, and, like, he he was a little despondent until the referee stood them up. And in the first fight against Eddie, it was kind of a war where they both got really bad facial damage and Eddie couldn't really see anything, so then he maybe thought, like, there was a hand up. Like, both fights were decided on Alvarez making a terrible decision while on top of Dustin easily fucking him up, or, like, at least easily maintaining position. They were, but it also just shows, like, how bad the fight then trends away 
once Dustin gets back on the feet in like if, for any reason. Yeah, and if you're a fighter that like needs to scramble with him, then Dustin can hang in a scramble. But I I feel like people make a little bit. You got you got to hold yeah, him down. You you got to keep him from. People moving. make too much of the Anthony Pettis performance. Like being able to top control Anthony Pettis in 2017 doesn't mean as much as people act like it does because the particular type of grappler he is also we know that dustin poirier is a good offensive grappler yeah like that's never been like, a question like that's that's a, that's a, that's kind of a separate skill it's just that he hates having to do it defensively he's like, oh man what and he's hot garbage off his back yeah really like he he is a he's like a 2013 fighter off his back yeah so the fact just that alone was a lot of why i was kind of expecting chandler to have a lot of success if he really pursued the takedown and then he did he just couldn't really maintain the pace that's necessary to do it which i think is was like somewhat predictable um but you know didn't didn't really like make me think dustin boy is gonna have any different uh performances no at the top level i i heard someone mention that the chandler and uh dustin both look shot i thought it was the best both have looked in a while uh, like, except dustin I, th- I thought dustin looked kind of uh i thought he looked kind of slow on the trigger in the first round i, I think, attribute like, like almost all of that to the grappling threat and just yeah like, i agree how chandler's like, a very like, weird frame matchup and and the fact that you know dustin was actually like ready with the hands to shut down uh take down threats in the first layer you know that that had to be on his mind when he was striking in the first round yeah. but I, I didn't think they looked shot that being said i would quite like to see dustin poirier just retire soon like he's he's made plenty of money he's fought for the title twice um you know he's beat everyone apart from the champions he's kind of old and he's got his whole hot sauce thing be good to see uh someone quit while they're ahead which i guess segues us into frankie edgar versus chris gutierrez christian how did you let me release a podcast where i pick frankie edgar to win a fight in 2022 i think that you really dropped the ball on this one um it's it's the same premise as like letting your kid make their own mistakes like i though i know that frankie edgar could never win a fight against someone who was able to throw up strikes uh that's the thing we we, we didn't even mention the upstrikes we were like oh chris gutierrez is just fun to low kick frankie edgar and then we and then we just like completely glossed over oh yeah Frankie Edgar has n- been knocked out by every kind of linear upstrike that there is. It's implied. Because, it's like talking about Luke Rockhold getting left hooked. Like, you don't I even guess. have to match, mention it in the matchup, really. But I was just like, I haven't really seen Chris Gutierrez throw upstrikes. But then it's like, oh yeah, Chris Gutierrez is just like a well-put-together, reasonably athletic fighter with some footwork. He can just do the Corey Sandhagen fight exactly. And when it happened, I was just like, Oh, <laughs> what was yeah. what was the fucking point of that? Like Frankie and and you know I, I did say to you like after the podcast I was like oh yeah I made a terrible mistake. Frankie Edgar's <laughs> going to look like a shell of a man and get destroyed. <laughs> you should never expect people to come back from these kind of runs, even if there's like even if they're having moments in these fights because like a you're not going to be able to recover from those kind of knockout losses that deep into a career and particularly into a career that re- required. Uh, good recovery from getting fucked up all the time. Something Frankie Edgar is famous for. Um, but also, like, you know, it's just, it was kind of like with Chris Weidman when it was like, oh, he keeps looking good in a fight and then getting finished. You know, maybe uh, 
one of these fights, he's just actually going to win it. And, you know, he just looks worse and worse every fight <laughs> to, to the point that it's like, oh, yeah, he's just never going to win a fight again. Um, so just, yeah, let Frankie Edgar be a cautionary tale to fighters who just have to keep chasing glory because he was a truly great fighter. Being lightweight champion uh, basically as like a big-ish flyweight and then going down to featherweight and having honestly a much more impressive like late prime run against fighters who were bigger and more skilled than everyone who he fought uh, lightweight. But now you just look at this uh, bantamweight run and you're just like, what was the point? Um, it, it, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it shouldn't detract from his accomplishments as a fighter, but it's going to be hard to think about anything else when I think about Frankie Edgar now, other than just the shambling old man who was just a mark for flying knees. Yeah, I, I think at, at this point, Frankie Edgar, you don't need to be a good defensive wrestler in the fucking slightest. You have to just have to be a serviceable anti-wrestler, and then he's inert. He couldn't even get to Gutierrez's hips just because of the foot speed. Yeah, like, Gutierrez isn't a good defensive wrestler by any stretch, but he's a good anti-wrestler to a degree. Well, and he's a good outfighter. Yeah, yeah. So you, it, you got to get to his hips in the first place. Yeah, he knows how to, like, threaten different things, and Frankie Edgar isn't great whenever he has to, like, pursue you for the takedown, traditionally. Uh, it, it's more if he can kind of just, like, get your hands up real quick with a fluttery, fluttering combination than shoot in on your hips. But Gutierrez is just wise to it. Um, and now that Frankie Edgar has been finished by nearly every upstrike I can conceive of, except for an up elbow and a uh, an up kick, I guess? Yeah, he's been fucked up by up kicks. Yeah, he's been fucked up by him, but like he's been fucked up to the point of being finished by uppercuts twice, a flying knee, a knee, a front kick. Am I missing one? No, that's all of them. Yeah, which is like almost every upstrike. He's now been knocked out by every upstrike that can conceivably happen on like a, a reasonable basis without someone explicitly going for the meme knockout of, oh, I'm going to knock him out with a new upstrike. Yeah, I was thinking if he fought Yaya Rodriguez again now, Yaya Rodriguez could do like a reverse rolling thunder. Yeah, yeah. Something, something along like that. Or like Frankie grabs a leg and then... Uh, instead of like the way Joaquin Buckley did it, you just like kind of do a Granby roll where you like heal him right in the jaw, which is the similar thing, but it's like a defensive reaction more. So I think you could knock out Frank Edgar with almost anything coming upwards. You could knock him out with a flying hip to the chin. Yeah. I mean, he, he looked truly dreadful. I don't know what he thought he was doing in this fight. Um, I just hate seeing old people get knocked out like that. Uh, I don't. Anyway, Chris Gutierrez is good. Uh, yeah, at least, good on him. at least, the, I, I hope he gets some shine from this, but maybe not because it's just like the third time in a row Frankie Edgar's been knocked out the exact same way. Kind of seemed like a waste of Chris Gutierrez's time, but I mean, you know, he got paid and got a legend scalp on his record, so it is what it is. Game in some good fights at bantamweight. Yeah, and then Dan Hooker constantly outclassed Claudio Puez. Yeah, like, did you really think Claudio Puez was gonna knee bar Dan Hooker? Not really, but like it was reasonable enough, and he did get to the position at least. Yeah, this is the thing. He got that Imanari role early, and there was like ten seconds where everyone was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, if he hadn't gotten to the position, I would have been like, "Oh fuck!" 
Uh, also, people were giving Dan Hooker so much credit just for being calm. Like, he's calm even when he gets submitted. So, like, him being calm when he's not about to get submitted isn't like, oh, he was just cool as a cucumber fight. Like, he, all, he was in a position of danger. Yeah, but he also defended it so fucking easily yeah. because you can't you can't do this shit like you know people okay people were comparing Claudio Poyas to Ryan Hall I'm like okay Ryan Hall is dramatically better than Claudio Poyas in so many ways yeah like he has an overall jiu-jitsu game and is also a better striker <laughs> but you see you can't just be like Cody McKenzie but more athletic you can't just have like a move that you think people aren't going to be ready for and just try and gain the system in MMA because it's not going to be that long before you just run into someone who is competent enough to just be like, oh, here's how you shut down the one thing this guy wants to do and then I can have my way with him. Because <laughs> talk about Dan Hooker's calmness. There is a moment in this fight where uh, Claudio Poyas is just like wrenching on Dan Hooker's foot. Dan Hooker just stops grappling and just looks at him like he's a fucking idiot. He's just like, you can't finish a leg lock from that position. What are you doing? And then just starts punching him in the ribs. Um, and yeah, and then he could just easily pressure Poyez with straight shots and body kicks until Poyez basically just gave up from a body kick because he had absolutely nothing for even this version of Dan Hooker, which he did. He didn't look great. He looked really slow and wonky, more so than I think of Dan Hooker as being. It was just nice to see Dan Hooker get an easy win. I agree. I, I think Dan Hooker is a very strange fighter in the sense that his striking is overrated so heavily, but his grappling is fucking five times more underrated. This is what occurred to me when uh, he fought Paul Felder. I was like, oh, this is the fight between guys who uh, like think they're slick strikers but don't realize that they're really good grapplers. Yeah, like Dan Hooker on top is genuinely like he's good at, at like top grappling. Kickboxer, uh, ground and pound, baby. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, his striking is like much more limited than his grappling tends to be when he's getting his game going. Yeah, I, I thought he was going to finish that guillotine on Poyas. I really think if he had just pushed his luck a little bit more, he could have just like consummately outclassed Poyas on the ground as well and just like finished him from top or submitted him. But he was just like, there is n no reason to risk it in the slightest. I'm just going to let him like fake Imanari rolls to sit down. And just be like, get up, stupid idiot, and then just do body kicks. And they're like, the body kick that finished the fight didn't even land particularly hard. He just like poked Poyas with the toes as he was moving backwards, and I think it was just kind of like, now nah, fuck this shit. Yeah, if you're that exhausted, your body's gonna be weak as hell. You know, he got to his position, he tried his moves, and as soon as they were out of that leg entanglement, I was like, oh, Poyas is gassed. Yeah, and just like, if not just mentally gassed by being so just like lost at sea on the feet and getting to the position where you thought you could just instantly win and it not even like coming close to working to be honest yeah it seemed like he mentally broke way before he gassed physically which didn't take long like way before being like two minutes in this context uh but i don't know it, it like didn't really I think this is a, about as like bad of as you can look in a fight for Claudio. I I don't expect much from him in the future, 
but he's young, so you always have to beat the he's young drum anytime a guy like this gets outclassed by a savvy vet. But really, it it didn't leave. It was not a performance that left much room for improvement. He just kind of had all the wrong ideas, and he uh, had one idea and it didn't work. Yeah, all the wrong he had idea. Nothing else to go to. And his striking looked useless. Like, did he do anything on the feet at all? Uh, he tried to just lead with a few kicks that Dan Hooker just easily defended. Yeah, I'm gonna lead with kicks against a guy whose main one of his main sparring partners is Israel Adesanya. That's a winning strategy. Uh, uh, Hanato Moicano um, dinged Brad Riddell and then went over and did an RNC. Yeah, Brad Riddell might be the most easy to predict. Uh, like the outcome is fights fighter that I can think of. Yeah, like now that now that I got a read on him, like the Fiziev one, I was like, ah, I don't know. I thought he was going to lose a decision, and then he was on his way to losing a decision and got knocked out. Yeah, I feel like now I can pick his fights with like a hundred percent accuracy. It, it just needed to be calibrated. It just took until it, probably one of his last fights before it's like fully calibrated. You still want him to fight Terence McKenney? Yeah, but I, I think he said he's taking a break from fighting for a while, which. Fair enough. Fair. He's getting um, his, his shit stomped. So yeah, Mukano looked great though. Oh yeah, outstruck him easily. Yeah, his jab looked great, and even though Brad Riddell has good counters to the jab, Mukano was kind of just like ready with counters to Riddell's counters. Um, yeah, Riddell doesn't like fighting people taller than him, which is nah. a bad thing if you're five eight. And he's like kind of wrote with his shot selection early and needs to like get his reactions and build into stuff. And he doesn't like stay as responsible uh, at range as some of his teammates when he's kind of figuring that process out. He will just kind of get into the pocket and mix it up. He just kept getting cracked. And then there was just like a weird takedown thing where like Moicano just did like a kind of shitty trip and Brad Riddell. Like actually got on Moicano's back, but then Hanato Moicano did the ha ha no, I take the back. And like Brad Riddell was just like ten steps behind. Like I've talked about this with Riddell's grappling before. He just like I think he has like good training, but just no instincts. He just constantly gets stuck in the moves between moves and gets into a position and is like, wait, what do I do now? He's a terrible scrambler. Yeah, and like previously this has just like lost him good positions that he could have capitalized on, but it's got him just like instantly submitted in his last two fights. Moicano gets on the back and Riddell's just like, uh, I will post and tuck my chin and hope that he just kind of like falls off and gives up on the grip. And it's like, nah, dude, Moicano is just going to fucking strangle you if you do that. Like 100% of the time. Like he's one of the best finishers from the back in the division now, I think. Um yeah, it was just like as soon as Mokano got the body triangle, I was like, oh, it's done. Yeah, and uh, Riddell has absolutely no authority on his strikes at all, which you cannot get by with at lightweight, and you especially can't get by with that if you're markedly shorter than most people you fight, and you fight in a way that's... Uh, like, he, he just can't fight someone that's that's taller than him that knows how to strike, really. Yeah, and particularly if like you say, he doesn't have the authority to make people respect his setups. Yeah, like his low kicks are pretty limp. Uh, like he, he does not kick very hard. His punches, though, in a vacuum, I guess most things that he throws are kind of hard. They just don't surprise you or anything at all, ever. 
and he's not sneaky in the slightest. Like he 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 has a lot of craft in many ways, but when it comes to countering and when it comes to landing hurting offense, he does not have any craft. He's just a very like trained fighter and it's upsetting to see his striking style just so like easily maneuvered around. Yeah, maybe good training and no instincts applies just to a further degree to his striking as well. Yeah, like I think he is just a a workhorse in the gym probably. Like he's a thoughtful fighter in the sense that he knows how to train people, how to do things, but he has no like talent for fighting I think at all. Which is very strange to say of someone that's gotten as far as he has. But that just goes to show how good his training is and how good his work ethic is and how like prominent his athleticism has been in his career. He's also tough as fuck, so. Yeah, and then uh, we got um, the mystical, uh, financially motivated Moicano on the mic afterwards. He was losing yep. his fucking mind. Yep, Moicano, when he wants money, unbeatable. He he had too much money before the RDA fight, and now that's gone. He's back. He just needed to. He just needed to like buy a house right before fighting RDA, and then he would have came out and killed him. I gotta pay off my mortgage. Uh, Dominic Reyes got destroyed by Ryan Spann. Looked awful and got killed instantly. <laughs> just, 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 it was the, one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Yeah. He got power jab knocked out by Ryan Spawn. Yeah. Ryan Spawn, not a weak hitter at all. Objectively, a very hard hitter. But Dominic Reyes, in his prime, would not have gotten knocked out by a power jab. Yeah, this is just... Uh... I mean, it's a depressing story because I just always wanted Reyes to get his moment because I just thought he likes beat John Jones so clearly. Um, you know, the Tiago Santos one we like to meme about, but it was like whatever. Um but just I don't know, Dominic Reyes, he can't he really got to the top way too quickly with a few cheeky little tricks and some like kind of surprising athleticism. Um and it like was enough to get robbed by John Jones. Um we've seen what happens at light heavyweight when you know a reasonable loss to a good fighter shakes your confidence and you get knocked out a couple of times and then the issues with your chin and confidence start to compound each other and then you kind of also I think he kind of felt that he had been solved a little bit and had to switch things up because he was so much more like aggressive about like leading and closing distance in this fight than he has been in the past, but he looked so uncomfortable doing it. And yeah, as you said, got smoked by a power jab because he just like ran straight in and did not create any kind of angle to get in on a left hand. And like, I think Ryan Spann could have just been standing still with his hand outstretched and Dominic Reyes would have knocked himself out with that punch. Uh, it's depressing to see. It's like if Misha Serkinov had been lineal champion and it's the kind of fight that makes you think Dominic Reyes should should just hang him up, which is fucking rough to say. Pretty grim. I, I think that... So, you know, the I'll have a courtesy fuck you to John Jones before I say this, but John Jones actually said something that I think is pretty prudent uh, to Dominic Reyes' career. Uh, someone mentioned on Twitter that uh john fucking took all the fight out of him in their fight which is the dumbest shit i've ever heard and john jones pretty much said as much as well 
John Jones is like, well, he thinks he won. So, like, that's probably a bigger issue. He, he said it a lot less eloquent and more of, like, a braggadocious way, but... I think just getting straight robbed fucked with Rey's head. Yeah, if he had treated that fight as, like, a literal loss, I think he would have bounced back a lot better from it rather than treating it as a win that he got fucked over in, which it was, but you can't operate under that. Like, there's a reason he got robbed. It's because he went to decision with the guy that he was beating, and then he got tired later on. And, like, the optics didn't look great. You know, people said, oh, Jones broke him. Jones won two rounds when Reyes got tired but still, like, failed to take him down or really get much done at all, to to be honest. You know, I I feel like if anyone broke Dominic Reyes, it was Jiri. You know, I I think he probably came into the Jan fight being like, oh, I beat beat John Jones, I can just win, and then was like, oh, wait, this this guy can actually strike at range and he can kick and he can counter punch. Oh shit. Fuck. And then I, you know, we've said he had a good performance against Jerry and like, you know, if, if getting robbed by John Jones is going to fuck with your head, what is having a fight like that with Jerry Prochowska going to do with your head? It's just like, I literally knocked him out and he came back and put me into the fucking shadow realm. It's, it's something where Dominic Reyes just does not have enough main character energy to ever have been champion. No. He was just a guy. Yeah, he, he's just a guy that's like a pretty decent athlete and worked really hard to get to where he is. But I always thought John Jones was going to lose to just some guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, to no uh, credit to John Jones at all, I think that Reyes losing that fight really fucked him over in his career because he just couldn't get better from then on because he was like, oh, well, I won. So then he looked kind of fine against Jan Blow, which like he was a big favorite against Jan, uh, at least when it comes to the like the fan expectation. Even though Jan was always very live in the fight. Well, and there was reasons to think he was a bad matchup for Jan when we thought that Reyes's counter punching game was maybe a bit deeper than it actually was. I agree, and Reyes against Yuri. Yuri's just a very sneakily terrible matchup for. Reyes, and now at this point, Reyes has just eaten so much fucking brain damage. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, you can look at his career and be like, oh, you know, he's, he's pretty, he hasn't fought that many times relative to most people that get, like, shot, but he's not young, and he's gotten knocked out disgustingly badly three times now, and it's been getting easier and easier for the shots that finish him to get him out. Like, the the Jiri knockout would have knocked him out, even if he had a completely fresh chin. But it was still yeah, and he had taken some shots. In yeah, he had fight. been getting fucked up in the fight prior to that, and then uh, he just gets knocked out so hard, and then he has a big layoff, and then gets caught in the first couple minutes. Like he got knocked out in a minute and twenty seconds, uh, which is about as getting caught cold as you can get. So I think a lot of it was certainly just he hadn't warmed up to the fight yet, and Ryan Spawn is weird. He is weird. I mean, also, full credit to Ryan Spawn for like taking the fight for what it is and just going. Yeah, I was going to say credit to Ryan Spawn for like being aggressive and taking initiative for like the first time in his fucking career. There was no reason for me to expect that. Yeah, he he has genuinely <sighs> improved a lot uh, since his contender series run. Where on contender series i was like oh this guy has like no potential at all he's just going to be one of the most mid fighters ever but then he's actually pretty good yeah when we saw this guy go to a split with sam alvey in 2020 i was like this this guy's never going to go anywhere but like um and and get like easily outclassed by anthony smith yeah 
but you know, um, that's because he. <laughs> so his fucking post fight interview was like, "Yeah, I never trained for a fight before." <laughs> Just blatantly a lie. Yeah, he, he he can fucking try and sell that to someone else. Like, I'm not listening to that shit. He, he had a main event fight where he was like literally crying because he lost. Well, you saying you just didn't have a training camp for that? <laughs> fucking stupid. Yeah, uh, um, Aaron Blanchfield. Aaron Blanchfield. Easily. 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 Easily destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, just took Molly McCann's lunch money. I'm not sure if Molly McCann landed a strike. I'm not sure if there was any reason to, to expect her to. I believe it was six to 106 or something on the on the stats, unofficial stats. Yeah, um, she just got a takedown early and got straight into a crucifix, beat the fuck out of Molly, and uh, tore her arm out of the socket. Aaron Blanchfield is pretty good. Yeah, it was a mismatch though. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely a mismatch. It was kind of a waste of Molly McCann. I guess. I, I, I guess you know, is what I said last week. They're trying to just get the Molly McCann hype transferred over to someone who they think actually has like a future as a title contender. And you know, it's whatever. We can just get Molly McCann yeah. back in there with people that she can knock out, or it at least just weird. like have fun striking performances with. It is weird that they didn't give Molly McCann like Casey O'Neill though. Because that fight would have been a banger for as long as it was on the feet, but if it got to the ground, it would be disgusting. Like, like if you think this was a fucking mulching, like it would be uh, filthy with Casey O'Neill. So, like, also Casey O'Neill, I think, just has more upside. So it just seems like weird matchmaking. Because if you're gonna cash out, why are you gonna cash on Aaron Blanchfield, who is probably gonna run into an athletic wall pretty soon? Yeah, I, I imagine so. But she's she's pretty cool. She's kind of like. I don't know, like Angela Lee or something. Yeah, I just think her style is a little too clean with not enough, uh, like, depth or dynamicism for it to thrive at the weight class. Like, it's she has a good style, but it's it's just so what it is with, like, no crazy shit that can come out. And she doesn't have, like, insane toughness and grittiness and violence like someone like Casey O'Neill has or someone... Someone uh, like Angela Lee, I guess. Yeah, someone like Angela Lee, who is just like so fucking dog tough. Like Aaron Blanchfield, very well maybe, but we haven't seen her in a fight like that, so we don't have any reason to assume. It. And, and her striking is what it is, but like she knows what she's trying to do with it, and she knows where she needs to get the fight. Yeah, she she's not so good at grappling that I think she's just gonna fucking clean through the division until she hits a wall either. Like, I could see her struggling really hard against some of the lighter touches. Yeah, it's, it, it's easy to look that that good uh, as a grappling specialist against J.J. Aldrich and Molly McCann. Yeah. Andre Petrovsky versus Wellington Tournament was very strange. It happened. was, like, on path to win very clearly, and then he did some fuck shit, and then Petrovsky just grind set at him. Yeah, Petrovsky... Uh, didn't gas so good for him uh this was the uh, absolute I, dud on the card and we knew it was gonna be I, I don't know about didn't gas i think he's just always gassed if he makes it past the first two minutes because he just didn't gas enough to randomly get tapped by wellington Terman. yeah um but you know, fuck that fight because matt frivola uh asked the people whether he should wrestle or bang and they chose bang and Matt Favola listened to the people, and a fucking slumped Ottoman Azaitar 
which was cool because everyone was like, oh, either Matt Favola is going to get knocked out in 30 seconds or he's going to like break Ottoman. And instead, he just like consummately outclassed Ottoman as Itar on the feet and just like jabbed him up and baited him into an exchange where he like hit a really nice, like, uh, like a couple of cheeky, uh, Color tie right hands as Ottoman was coming in, and then a nice left hook as he was exiting and just knocked him the fuck out. Matt Favola just decided to become a puncher this year. He's uh, everything we always wanted Ally Aquinta to be. <laughs> yeah, Ottoman also has a very strange thing where it's like not that uncommon for a guy that's a good power hitter who kind of fucks people up in the first round to then take a, a couple years off and then suddenly be like, oh my god, I'm every bit of 32 and I'm fighting someone that's actually able to contest with me in the first 30 seconds. So then you just kind of get caught cold. I haven't been active, so my timing's off. Yeah. It, it, I wouldn't be that surprised if Ottoman looked perfectly fine in his next fight and then like won by knockout against someone a bit of a step down or even a step sideways. When you say perfectly fine, you do probably mean just like winning by first round knockout because you know, it's all, it's all Zaitar really. It is, yeah. Yeah, that's his win condition. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if he just won as he normally does. Like, I don't think it looked like him being particularly shot. I think he just regressed ever so slightly physically in those couple of years off and then was caught cold. Carolina's still back. She's still back. She just beat uh, Silvana Gomez Juarez easily. Just like got a good takedown in the first easily, round, and it seemed to be. Third round I don't want to say hard. easily, but she got a good takedown in the first round that easily won her that round and seemed to make uh, Gomez Juarez tentative enough in, in the rest of the rounds to not land a big bonk, which is also the only way that uh, Silvana Gomez Juarez was going to win this fight. What the fuck was going on with the judges and the scorecards after this uh, fight? Just some of the. I, like I'm I don't even sure. think it was shady. I thought I thought it was just like clearly incredibly incompetent. I don't know what the f- like they had like the scorecard out and they're just like writing on it like on they're just out on the cage. Like what okay, the Okay, so f- I'm pretty sure what happened is that the judges were getting corrected because of a knockdown in the third round because it was a knockdown by Carolina. She hit her opponent on the chin and she fell. It's not a way they do it, but... That's not how scoring even works in MMA. I, I don't know. Like, it would make sense if that was what it was, because that's what it should be, because I, I was seeing people live not think it was a knockdown, but then you see the replay, it's a clear knockdown. It could have just been, like, someone fucked up. It looked like they were reversing the cards whenever they zoomed in on someone doing something. Like, maybe they just for, didn't know who was who, which is very strange. I think that's a lot yeah, more likely, but, to be uh, honest. You know, that, that still at least gave me the opportunity to mention that Carolina fucking dropped her in the third round. Uh, Mike Trezano's song with Troy was just a like ridiculous banger for as long as it lasted. It yeah, it was hilarious. It, it started with uh, a double left hook knockdown, where like they both just traded the same left hook and both got dropped on their ass. And then the rest of the fight was them just trading left hooks. And Mike Trezano won because he was like just down the stretch more like savvy and adaptable about winning a fight decided on who could counter the other guy's left hook with a left hook. Yeah, Sung Wo Choi is just way too rote uh, to be as much of a brawler as he is. And doesn't have good defense and thinks he's slicker than he is. Exactly. He, he's If you're that rote, you cannot be a brawler that is is that insistent on brawling. Yeah, he think, yeah I think he thinks he's a counterpuncher. <laughs> I think he does. Um, but like you say, he he 
has a couple of ideas that will work early and if his opponent can adjust to them at all, he's not going to be able to adjust in turn. Uh, Montel Jackson beat Julio Arce by Julio Arce being small and not knowing how to like really come forward against people taller than him. Yeah, I was weird. Montel like, Jackson looks strong. Thought. Yeah, I just like, I don't know, Julio Arce competed fine against like athletic and physical featherweights. It was just a weird performance from him. I'm I'm not sure what to put it down to. Just seemed like he just kind of allowed Montel Jackson to the jab him. set shit up on him. And Montel Jackson is like well, fucking huge and very powerful and like has just like okay technique on basic elements of MMA if you just like let him do stuff. Uh it was what it was. Uh Carlos Solberg knocked the fucking shit out of Nikolai Negomarianu. Um he looked a lot better. Uh, he looked pretty rote. Yeah, Nega Mariano, like, you know, he was easy to outmaneuver by Olberg just having, like, length and foot speed advantage and kind of just circling in one direction behind a jab. Um, but, you know, it led to a cool finishing sequence where he did, like, a nice, like, one three left hook off of the jab, like, kind of gauging the distance with the jab and getting Nega Mariano chasing him. And then, uh, like the left hook off of it to drop him, and then a couple of ground shots that put him the fuck out unconscious. I'm really just thinking Carlos Olberg needs to change his name and leave the UFC because Alex Pereira is is gonna be like, oh, that guy is training partners with Adesanya. So like, if he beats Adesanya again, and then goes for light heavyweight, Olberg's first on his list. Because, so, like, that's the only way the prayer could get extra hatery is to start knocking out Adesanya's training partners. Start knocking out his boys. Yeah, it's like, oh, I knocked him out a bunch of times. Now I'm just going to fuck up everyone he knows. He's going to, like, like cut to lightweight and fight fucking Dan Hooker. And, it, like, he'll look look like he's dead on the scale. But he'll, he'll like, literally cut a limb off to then fuck up uh, Dan Hooker and Brad Riddell with one arm. It looks like Carlos Solberg is going to be getting some steps up, uh, like relatively soon. Like this is a better opponent than he had fought pre- like previously, so you'd expect that. But also, I wouldn't mind them giving him another person to dust. No, uh, he's he's still pretty green, but is clearly making developments between fights. It's it's a good way to ensure that he's just going to like. Uh, immediately halt progress and just get into a bunch of wars where he gets horribly finished and break him if you push him a little too hard. That being said, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight like Dustin Jacoby. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, yeah. That's a really hard fight for Olberg. It, yeah, it is, to be honest. Uh, that was that card. Christian, we going to fucking talk about Derek Lewis versus Sergei Spivak? Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I, I... Okay, if, if Derek Lewis loses, he's definitely shot. If he wins, he might still be shot. He still might be, you know, degrees of shotness. He's def- he definitely doesn't have, you know, some of that Derek Lewis magic anymore where his entire style relied on him being, like, deceptively durable and difficult to grapple despite having no defense and hating getting a hit and not being a very deep defensive grappler. 
And so people like just think that they can do all of MMA on him and then they just bounce off him and get tired and he knocks them out by accident at, at some point. Um, now, you know, you, you can't do that shit forever and it lasted a surprisingly long time for Derek Lewis and now he just keeps getting finished on the feet. Uh, Sergey Spivak, kind of just a wrestler, but he's like one of the better ones at heavyweight right now and he's pretty consistent as a top player. He has okay cardio and doesn't really have problems like just hossing people who are way bigger than him. So is he just going to take Derek Lewis down a bunch and get gassed and then just like randomly get swept at some point and knocked out with ground and pound? I, what do you think? I think he's more likely to just get on top and like continue winning. Yeah. Like Lewis, his his just stand-up ability is a meme that has like some... like. It, like something to it like it's not just a meme but it's also it's a meme like he, he you can be on top of him if you're actually a control grappler i i think regardless of that though speedback is just gonna like youth him and kind of fuck up Derek lewis something fierce but it would be nice to see Derek lewis win i guess it, it's just hard for me to ever pick Derek lewis because the likelihood that he's going to fight a fight that is replicable uh at creating a win condition against anyone other than a cop is unlikely. Like, if Spivak was was a cop, then I'd be like, yeah, I mean, Lewis is going to pressure him and, uh, like, wait for his chin to get checked and then kill the guy in the same exchange. But that's, that is not this experience. So I think Spivak's going to easily win. I'm going to pick Derek Lewis by knockout. Sergey Spivak's been finished enough times, and he's not... Like, not that dynamic of a finisher or anything. Nah, but he's aggressive, uh, and he ha- and he has also just been like caught cold by people who just like pushed him back and fucked him up. If Derek Lewis comes out like he did against Dorcas, it could just like work. Wishful thinking, though. I need to stop picking old people coming off of knockout streaks. Yeah, I uh, knockout loss. I want to mention this is maybe the worst uh, top three fights on a main card I've ever seen. It's pretty not It's so good. dire. Like, honestly, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Ian Kutalaba, Kennedy, and Dechukwu just because it's the co-main event. But if this was on any other card, <laughs> we wouldn't mention the fight. If it wasn't the co-main event, we just wouldn't even mention it. We don't need I, to. I just want to say, like, Kennedy, Dechukwu, he's big. Kutalaba, he's uh, so mentally frail at this point, or, like, at least mentally inconsistent. Uh, I kind of think... Kennedy, Kennedy is just going to win. He's too angry. Yeah. Yeah, Kennedy's just going to win. I don't, I don't even know how... I'm just like... Chase Sherman's going to put on a boxing clinic and maybe still get knocked out. Oh, Jack Adelaide is fighting uh, Danny Roberts. That's a banger. Yeah! There's two good welterweight fights. Like, Fialio, uh, Muslim Salikov is also it's good. weird that welterweight is coming through to save the card here, but, I mean, Jack Della Madeleine is definitely... Also weird that those aren't the co-main event and main event. Out Danny Roberts. Yeah, Madalena versus Roberts could honestly be a main event. Why the fuck not? <laughs> On this week of a card, like, Why definitely good. Not? And Andre Fiolo versus Muslim Salikov, that's a weird one. Um, I don't know if Salikov's just too old and Andre Fiolo's just going to get to walk him down and fuck him up, but I could also see, like, Salikov just getting a weird trip and some sneaky shit off of the back foot early that 
just like kind of shakes Fialo's confidence and uh, Salikov gets to open up a little bit. I'm expecting Fialo to like try really hard and then get walked through the harder he tries. Like the harder he tries, I think the more he gets battered. Uh, for Jack Dylan Madalena versus Danny Roberts, it's an interesting matchup because we're actually seeing Madalena against someone that's uh, like good or like physically competent and like pretty athletic. Um, Ramazan Ameev is those things, but he's also to where I, I don't really think it tells us that much about his ability to fight people that are upper tier athleticism. So seeing Madalena against Roberts is is going to be neat because just the the way the striking shakes out should tell us something. Yeah, he's a, he's a decent boxer and he hits really fucking hard, so it could be a war as long as it lasts. But like Danny Roberts just gets so hurt. And like I I expect Madalena to be very good. Like he's proven himself at this point to be a competent fighter. But I I just want to see more of him against this type of matchup. Maybe after this fight, win or lose, give him Tim Means, someone like that along those lines, and then kind of give us even more of a, a test for where he's at, and then start giving him steps up. But I'm... You can fight Daniel Rodriguez. That would be good. It, it seems like UFC uh, maybe not... hasn't gotten better at it, but it's just come up less frequently with the welterweight meat grinder of just, like, putting the all the good guys that are unranked against each other. Seems like they're more willing to actually give guys lighter touches now, which is necessary for fighter progression. Looking at the rest of the card, Jennifer Maya versus Marina Rose sticks out as a decent fight. Um, I like Miles Johns. Him versus Vince Morales should be all right. I don't really have anything more than like a, a passive comment on that. And then the rest of the card is very, very weak. It's one of the weaker cards I've seen. I didn't even want to talk about this card. I just felt like because we could talk about it in like five minutes, might as well. Yeah, might, might, might as well just squeeze it in real quick. But yeah, that's the podcast. If you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that the Fight Site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For a pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical content, but also to a Discord server where we have a great community of interesting fight fans from different backgrounds. We're always having great discussions. You can talk to staff. You can hang out and watch fights all the time. It's great. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. You can catch us next week where we're going to be recapping... Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak um, and then there's uh, an off week where I think we may have a cheeky little topic planned so look forward to that we'll see you guys then, peace later Sanhagen is the best middleweight of all time because he easily wrestles all the people that strike and he easily outstrikes all the people that grapple.